And his reward for trying to treat these pain patients for, for years was to be indicted, to have his practice turned upside down, to, uh, to really lose just about everything in his life except his friends and family. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of Don't Punish Pain with Claudia. You know, oftentimes doctors will email me in the middle of the night asking for help. They'll say, Claudia, uh, the feds came to my office. I don't know what to do. And when I get these messages, uh, they stress me out, to be honest with you. Uh, my pain patient stories used to keep me awake until I started to advocate for doctors. So what do you do when the feds come a knocking? Well, you call a good attorney. And today we have with us a wonderful attorney. I've never met him in person, only over Zoom. His name is Benjamin Wish. He is out of Boston, Massachusetts. Hi, Ben. Hi, Claudia. Pleasure to see you. Thanks for having me. So Ben, uh, I'm looking at your bio and it says Benjamin Wish. He's a partner at the firm. He concentrates on his practice, complex commercial litigation, blah, blah, blah. But you are, the reason I learned about you, Ben, is because a wonderful doctor contacted me about a year ago, Dr. Zalot, and he said, I'm just celebrating my five-year uh, anniversary of being acquitted. And I said, oh my God, you were acquitted? It happens. And he said, yeah. he said, this wonderful boy, he calls her boy, he said, uh, his name is Benjamin Wish, because he has a strong accent. And he said, he, he saved my life, he and this other attorney. And I picked up the phone and I called you. And here we are today. So welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Claudia. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so you, Dr. Zolot, and that is really a remarkable story and a remarkable man. He underwent really a terrible ordeal. He had a pain management practice. He actually was a physiatrist west of Boston in, in Needham, Massachusetts. And he had a population of pain patients that may be familiar to many physicians who practice in this area, where he treated folks who had had multiple back surgeries with no help, spinal cord stimulators, physical therapy, you name it, they tried it, it hadn't worked. And he took them on and treated them with a panoply of treatments from injections to sometimes additional surgeries to physical therapy to, and yes, opioids. Um, but nevertheless, the government saw fit um, to indict him on six counts and initially for prescribing uh, controlled substances unlawfully resulting in death. And uh, it was, Obviously, a stunning blow. He was shocked and taken aback when the feds came beating down his door. He was so comfortable with the fact that he was a physician doing the best to help patients who were suffering through debilitating pain that he actually sat down and talked to the federal agents for a couple of hours and told them all about his practice. He was so comfortable about it. He knew he wasn't a criminal, he knew he wasn't a drug dealer. He sat down and spoke with them for hours, literally. Um, and told them everything they wanted to know about his practice. And his reward for trying to treat these pain patients for, for years was to be indicted, to have his practice turned upside down, to, uh, to really lose just about everything in his life except his friends and family. Uh, it was absolutely stunning. The, the, the prosecution of him stretched out over eight years. It was quite shocking. 
I won't, I won't get into the detail of all that, but at the end of the day, um, the prosecutor's story, and unfortunately, this is so similar to so many physicians who are prosecuted, was they, they don't say a word about the pain patients. Mm-hmm. They don't say a word about all the non-opioid treatments. They don't say a word about what the actual practice is. They don't say a word about pain patients who Dr. Zola and other physicians just couldn't treat anymore because of problematic urine drug screens or, or, or other issues where physicians ultimately make the decision, I just can't treat you anymore. Instead, all they focused on was the pills, how many pills, and um, the fact that a lot of these patients lied to Dr. Zola as they do to so many other physicians. And so the way that the trial played out was the government talked all about how terrible, scary, and horrible opioids are and fentanyl patches and you, you name it. Um, and we came up to point out, to, to examine these patients and say, you know, all the ways in which Dr. Zola treated them, all the ways in which they told him that he was helping them. And in fact, when, if they testified, I didn't need those. I wasn't really in pain. They, you lied to Dr. Zola and, and they conceded that. Um, ultimately what the trial came down to, and this is, I, I'm talking about the Dr. Zola case, but it's so similar in all of these cases. It came down to a battle of the experts. Uh, and we had the head of the former, excuse me, the former head of pain at a Harvard hospital here in Boston, Beth Israel. Um, and they had the current head of pain at that very same hospital. And it was remarkable because you had two top of the line expert physicians disagreeing with each other about the decisions that Dr. Zolot made. Um, and what we said to the jury was, what you have here is professional disagreement about whether to treat these kinds of patients. That doesn't make you a drug dealer. It makes you a physician treating an incredibly challenging group of patients who, frankly, many physicians don't have the courage to treat because they know that it puts them at risk of the government banging down their doors and destroying their practice and their lives. So that was a, an, an, a particularly wonderful result. You know, it, 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 uh, the federal government, when they bring these cases, always expects to win. And uh, it was a true pleasure. And one of the really, honestly, one of the greatest moments of my life overall, not just my professional life, to see uh, jury equipped doctors a lot. Yeah, that's, I'll tell you. So ben, how much, how much did that, Eight-year trial cost the taxpayers, do you think? <laughs> well, the trial wasn't eight years. There were two separate six-week trials in federal court in Massachusetts. I don't know how much it cost, but I will tell you there were three prosecutors, three attorneys uh, on the team, uh, in, in, in addition to all the support staff. I, you know, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank. You know, I don't know how much it would have cost, but I'm sure it was very expensive. Um, and in addition, so you have the lead up of all these years of discovery and all these yeah. intermediate battles before you finally got to these trials, two separate six week trials, because um, in the initial trial it was actually a, a hung jury. Wow. Um, and second, so he really, really went through the ringer. Sure. Uh, and, 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 the second and, trial and, and expended all of these resources on this mm-hmm. man who, you look, listen, there's always going to be bad actors. Uh, and when you have these patients, these people posing as pain patients, and they're just there to get the medication, 
that's always a bad situation. But doctors now are expected to be clairvoyant. They're expected to know what's going to happen with that medication. So now all doctors, I think we have 500 prescribers in the country, 500. That's it. But now doctors are like, well, the hell with it. I just won't prescribe. It's, it's, it's a real tragedy. I will tell you, every client I have who's a physician in this area is an incredibly brave person because they know that just by practicing in this area, just by prescribing a 30-day dose of oxycodone, 10 milligram oxycodone or something, I'm, I'm putting my neck on the line. Yeah. My life on the line. I, I, could, I could lose 10, 20, 30 years of my life for, for, for treating in this area. And uh, it's, it's frankly scary because as you say, the conduct that they, I, I'm, I'm now speaking with physicians and, and the types of conduct that are now at issue is really startling. They, the, the, the government in many cases is going after physicians because they say, you didn't, you're, you're a drug dealer effectively. You're not a physician, you're not practicing medicine, you're a drug dealer because you didn't document you know, these two or three urine drug screens that didn't show a positive for the prescribed drug. Never mind that a lot of these tests, especially if they're not a more particular test, the GCMS, the grass chromatography, mass spectrometry, aren't particularly accurate. Never mind that there's a dozen reasons why you might get a negative. You prescribed after getting those negatives, that immediately means you're not a doctor anymore. You're a drug dealer. Um, or if you don't, or if, or, if, or if a patient comes to you and tells you, you know what, my pain was horrible this month. And I finished my pills three days early. And you go and prescribe again? <laughs> the government may say you're a drug dealer. Sure. So it, it's, it's, a, it's scary. And the doctors who practice this area, I think, recognize how desperately needed their services are because there are so many folks out there who need, you know, and I, it, we're implicitly talking about opioids because that's what they ultimately prosecute for, but need real pain treatment just to manage on a day-to-day basis in, through, through a host of modalities. And the physicians who can best do that or best equipped to do it and and have the courage to do it uh, are, are being prosecuted or, 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 and it's, it's a scary, terrible situation. Ben, if everybody, you know, I said early on, the only way to stop this madness is if everybody stops prescribing and you regain the power and a doctor's like, well, that's crazy. And here we are three years later and we 500 prescribers what uh you know the other day a gentleman contacted me he went to the emergency room he went to three emergency rooms with pancreatitis and i'm, I'm this story is for you for us for a reason the third emergency room uh he was howling in pain and they called the police on him and he spent eight hours in restraints in jail and he had to go before a judge and I spoke with him today and I said, I've got to ask you, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm an attorney. <laughs> I said, oh my God, you're an attorney. And I felt like we hit the jackpot because I said, because I was talking with him, he was articulate. I said, this guy, because a lot of sometimes these people, I get them on the phone, a little shady. But when he said he's an attorney, I said, you're an attorney? I said, oh, 
Oh, it's on. I said, are you ready to fight? I said, you had to go before you're a judge you work with in South Carolina, but nobody's immune from pain. But if there's not going to be anybody to treat pain, we're only going to see overdoses skyrocket. And with overdose, with this, with this prescribing uh, dilemma, people need access to Suboxone for addiction. But now the Suboxone doctors are getting raided. One was just raided because he didn't um, have proper um, therapy set up for patients. And I said, this is, so the DEA must have a lot of time. And I almost feel like the DOJ, they count on these doctors, you know, taking a plea. Uh, so you, when you're a doctor, you're afraid. So you said, oh my God, uh, whatever. Yes, here's my license, but we don't want that to happen. We want to ship them off to attorneys like yourself, who, attorneys who have background in this, because some of these doctors, they're calling the lawyer who wrote their will. And I said, no, no, that's not the attorney. It's, no, it's, it's scary because so often folks don't know who to turn to and this is true for any area of law, but especially highly specialized areas, like patent litigation. You know, you wouldn't want me doing the patent litigation. Yeah. And you wouldn't want a patent lawyer doing my job. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it is highly specialized. You know, unfortunately, I have my, you know, library now of, of medical literature going, going all the way back to the early 2000s. You know, see a target depending on what period of time a physician was practicing during, because the literature has evolved so rapidly um, and in so many different and disparate directions. Tell me about what, what kind of law do you practice? Sure. No, you defend doctors. You're a white collar. So I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you criminal off. Criminal defense attorney, right? Yes. So white collar criminal defense and, and most or the predominant part of my white collar criminal defense practices, defending physicians. And that is many cases, both in state and federal courts across the country, involving physicians who are accused of being drug dealers. Of, and that's, you know, that, that it, the case law that actually how it turns out is what the standard is, really, um, for the point at which you stop practicing medicine and become a drug dealer. It's not making a mistake. It's not negligence. It's being accused of actually not being a doctor anymore and just trying to make a buck. Um, and so that's the predominant part of my white collar practice. Um, I also do uh, complex commercial litigation, business litigation, representing uh, both you know, uh, businesses who are in sort of uh, breach of contract disputes or unfair and deceptive trade practices, fraud, and those type of things. Uh, and I also do uh, First Amendment law on a pro bono basis, typically, um, including as cooperating counsel with the ACLU. Okay. So um, I have a a broad and varied practice, but I would say certainly, you know, some of the most compelling work that I do is for these physicians because every physician I've had as a client is so dedicated to their patients and has been so thoughtful about what they've been doing and recognize what a tough area it is to practice in and just the right thing um, and are completely blindsided when uh, the government comes knocking at their door. Okay. How do we prevent this from happening? What do you suggest? So I, because my bill is being signed into law over the next few days and I want to. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. 
and, and, you know, I had a vision when I started this and right now I want to get some primary care physicians together because the pain management places that we have in Rhode Island, less than desirable. I don't like their attitudes and I don't like the, what they do to patients. I believe one doctor should be treating a person's pain and that's their primary care physician. That's who knows them the best. So what, what's the advice here for these doctors? They're ready. They've got some legislation to protect them just a little bit. Should they call you for a compliance plan? Is that something that you offer? Yes. So first of all, yes, I would be happy to speak with anyone who wants to chat about a compliance plan or something like that and do that type of engagement. I will tell you that the government has, it's, it's remarkable how consistent the government playbook often is in terms of what they look at in physicians. And so for better or for worse, that, that, that at least gives you a guide for what to look for in physician practices uh, to try to ensure that you document everything that you are doing to show that you truly are practicing medicine and, that, and, and to try to gird yourself uh, against the government investigation. Uh, the reality, however, unfortunately, is that no matter, you, you should do it, whether with me or with someone else or just by doing your own research, every physician who practices in that area would, would be well served to undertake that. The re unfortunate reality is, uh, for, for many physicians, is that prosecutors, just by the nature of the job, have incredible discretion. They, as Practically, they can investigate and go after just about anyone they want to. Um, and they can seek to indict just about anyone they want to. And many physicians, unfortunately, find out that at the end of the day, it's not just about whether or not you win or lose a trial. Because by the time you get to trial, you've gone through sure. a year two more of your life. Right, right. Upended. Yeah. In every way, emotionally, friends and family, financially, you name it, your, your life's being turned upside down. Uh, and so the reality is tied. You're number two on the prescriber list in Illinois. You know, we're going to we're going to go check you out and, and we're, we're gonna going to start be, talking. To your there's always going to be the one right. The high prescriber, because if nobody else yep. is willing to. Uh, prescribe, then that one is going to be who the DEA sets their sights on. And you, you said something and that this resonates the, these prosecutors have so much power. Uh, and sometimes I wonder, I said, Oh my gosh, is it worth the fight? But with doctors a lot, it was worth the fight. Oh, absolutely. And, and I will tell you, there are other physicians. It's so funny. You know, that, that case was a remarkable victory, but oftentimes as a criminal defense attorney, some of the best victories you have, no one ever hears about. Mm -hmm. because the, the, the best victory is never getting indicted in the first place. Right, right. I would a thousand times out of a thousand rather have the prosecutor not indict on day zero than win at trial on day 2000. Um, and so that, and so what representation means and, and trying to help physicians means is starting with compliance. Yes, absolutely. Contact me, contact or contact someone else um, or, or do your own work to, to, to figure out the, the right way to, to, to document and to do your work so that anyone can see that you're practicing real medicine. And who, um, if someone comes knocking on your door, getting uh, someone like me engaged quickly to try to 
tamp down, you know, to, to, to try to engage the prosecutors in a discussion quickly. Um, and if ultimately an indictment comes down um, to handle the case through trial. But I think so often, so many lay people focus on the trial and it is the big ticket item. And as a lawyer, you know, it's, 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 you know, like the world series uh, and you, you want to do your best and you absolutely want to win, but there's so much that comes before that, that hopefully as a, you succeed as a criminal defense attorney, if you never need to get to a trial. Right. Hey, so Ben, you know, another issue, a lot of these doctors call me and tell me that the DEA, uh, they're calling patients. And I said, don't have the patients talk with the DEA. They're not going to, you know, have them have somebody present, have them have an attorney present, because that conversation is not going to happen with an attorney present. Do these DEA agents, do, do the patients have to speak with the DEA if they don't have any I don't know what what information do they need. So the DEA knocks on the patient's door. Hi, I'm here to talk with you about Dr. Smith. What does the patient do? So the first thing I say is, and this is with the very large caveat that nothing I'm saying should be construed as legal advice. This is all purely educational. And if you want my opinion, give me a call. I'd be happy to speak with you. But none of this is legal advice. But very significant risk to a physician to tell a patient not to speak with the DEA or to talk to them about what to say, because you can be sure if the DEA agent is doing their job, they're gonna ask about every communication that patient had with Dr. Smith. And if patient Jones says, Dr. Smith told me, I shouldn't even talk to you. Mm -hmm. DEA agent's gonna think about that. The DEA agent's gonna think, that's one more indication he's trying to cover it up. He's trying to control his patients. Mm He doesn't want them to talk because he knows they're going to hurt us. So, so I'm reluctant to say anything about what a physician, especially in this context, without a um, speaking to, to someone who I'm actually representing, talk about what a physician should say or do. In terms of patients, it's up to it's like anyone else. If anyone from the government, if any police officer walks up to you on the street without a warrant and they just want to talk to you, it's your choice whether or not to speak with them. You so can. If you're watching this, say nothing. You can't, you, you <laughs> lose your case by saying nothing. Uh, that's something I learned as a court reporter. I used to look at witnesses. I was like, zip it. I, I will tell you. So much. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's, it's, it's interesting, though. Um, and, and this is why I don't want to be particular about advice in any way, shape, or form mm-hmm. on this podcast. Because in many cases, it really helps physicians who agreed to talk to whether it's the DEA, whoever busts down their door, um, the, the DEA at their raid or, or a U.S. attorney, because what happens at trial. So and I, I'll go back to the Dr. Zola case since you started with it. Um, at trial, I was able to able to say to the jury, Dr. Zola, if you were if you're a drug dealer, do you agree to sit down for a two hour interview with the DEA who just busted down your door to tell them all about your practice and show, show off the equipment you just bought last month to, to help with spinal extent, spine extensions. I think I'm getting the term wrong from a stale memory here. Uh, but do you, do you sit down and tell them about your wonderful success stories and this patient came in last week? Do you show them the kind of injections you're doing? Do you do all that if you're a drug dealer? And there were recordings where all the plate, you know, you, Dr. Zola, as many criminal defendants don't make the decision not to testify under their first Fifth Amendment right. But 
we had the recording of him talking. And so, and, um, and they also had um, agents who interviewed him and so in their notes. And so through that, the jury was able to hear everything that Dr. Zola, and this has been true with other physicians too, uh, had to say about his practice and what he does with urine drug testing. And because they asked him about that and what he does and how he decides whether or not to keep on a patient after seeing that they've tested positive for cocaine mm-hmm. or some other illicit drug. And so it's not always, um, I, it's not always as um, clean an answer, especially in this area. Um, and although to, to, you know, I'm sure lawyers are different on their advice. Um, it often plays out for physicians that um, in certain circumstances, it ends up being to their benefit um, because you can, um, as we, as I have done on many occasions, argue to the jury, he had nothing to hide. Criminal acts are all about intent. Mm-hmm. A physician who makes and leaves a sponge in someone's appendix isn't, isn't a criminal. He gets sued for medical malpractice. I'm sure that doesn't make him a but if, the, if a physician intentionally jams that sponge in there, you know, then you know what? You're probably a criminal or you might be a criminal for, for, for trying to harm someone intentionally with criminal intent to hurt someone. And most of these doctors, and they're not criminals, Ben. Most of these doctors, I have right. the pill mill. This is what I'm saying. On. And those, those yeah. pill mill days where these doctors were, you know, taking $400 for cash in exchange for, uh, a script. It seems like those doctors had the money to defend to, to for a good defense. And my 80 year old doctors who are getting shut down by the feds, because these feds have a pattern there. It seems like they're, they're targeting the, the solo practitioner, the older doctors. I have a ton of Indian immigrants, lots of, lots of immigrant physicians it is who have come from, I've represented physicians from multiple countries in Africa, from Pakistan, from Russia, from, from elsewhere in Eastern Europe. They've come here, many cases had to learn English, take their boards over again, build themselves up all over again into a new practice. And they, they, they get hit with this. It's, it's um, truly stunning and well, unfortunate. Well, I'm glad that you were able to take time out of your day to be with me. If you're someone, if you're a prescriber who's tuning in for this and you want to continue to prescribe, uh, reach out to Ben Wish. He's in Boston. Uh, I'm, I would love to have you in Rhode Island to sit down and talk with some uh, primary care physicians. Ben, so thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you're busy to be here with Don't Punish Pain. Hey, folks, listen, if you like this episode, make sure you click like, uh, subscribe, make sure you leave a comment because we're eager to hear what you have to say about doctors being targeted by the feds. Uh, have a great day, everybody. So I just had an amazing interview with a great attorney. His name is Ben Wish. He's out of Boston. And I met Ben uh, through a doctor whose life was ripped away from him by the feds. And Ben defended him, a doctor's a lot, also out of Needham, Massachusetts. And uh, Ben brings a lot to the table. So if you like this interview, don't forget to click like, uh, share, Be sure to leave a comment and let us know what you think.